Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting with Jen Grant. And Jen is currently leading Appify as the CEO, delivering an enterprise-grade no-code platform that supports companies like Tata MD, Johnson & Johnson, and Keysight, and quickly delivering apps to their workforces. Prior to Appify, she spent the last 15 years taking multiple companies to over a billion-dollar valuation. That's B, billion. As CMO, Jen led Looker's marketing until the $2.6 billion acquisition by Google in 2019. She led the rebrand of Elastic and built a team that took the company public for a $2.4 billion valuation in 2018. And she grew Box from a small startup to an industry-leading enterprise content company with a $1.7 billion IPO in 2015. Wow, that's a lot of Bs. That's a lot of billions, Jen. <laughs> yeah. um, but congratulations on all that. Um, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about all this fun stuff. <laughs> Can you just start us off by telling us a, a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So today I'm the CEO of Appify and Appify is a no-code app platform. So we actually um, work with companies uh, to make it very easy for them to create apps for their employees and eventually apps for their customers. Uh, so if you take you know, any of the companies you mentioned, we sit on top of all of the tech stack that they have, whether it's Oracle or Salesforce or SAP, and they can very quickly within just weeks create an app that helps an employee maybe uh, deliver support in the field or a salesperson pull up customer information and, and give a quote to a customer, things like that. Awesome. And I, um, this concept of no code, it seems to be getting more and more popular. I've seen this in a lot of website builders lately, landing page builders. Um, so what is it about this headache of having to deal with developers? Um, can, yeah. you, can you describe that a little bit as a well, marketer? You bet. Yeah. So of course we love developers. <laughs> we'll start there, but there aren't as many developers as the ideas we have. So when you, so when a company says mm -hmm. to themselves like oh gosh we have this new line of business and we need to give our employees an app on their phone that allows them to do something differently today, one example from the pandemic that was very real is that they uh, many companies needed uh, PPE checklists to make sure their employees if they were going mm -hmm. into a warehouse or they were going to a customer site they said yes I've got my hard hat, I've got my mask, I've got whatever it is in this particular site that I need. So that's an example of an app that uh, many people mm -hmm. created. And I think, you know, really the difference is how fast can you create that app? Now, if you're a humongous enterprise and you already have 100 developers on staff, well, okay, maybe you could build an app in a couple of weeks because you put all you know, 20 of them, 20 of them on it, and then they QA'd it, and then they launched it, and, you know, they're able to do it. Um, but it takes, for most companies, they either don't have the developers, or it just takes too long. Uh, and in addition, you know, one of the issues with custom development is, you know, not all these employees are going to be with you for the next 10 years. Is the app going to be with you for the next 10 years? It might. And so 
many of the people might move on who actually understand how the code was originally built. So the no code uh, concept Mm -hmm. is, you know, one of the reasons it's taking off is because it allows for you to very quickly create an app and then be able to say, oh, uh, well, I need to make this change and and this is not right. And I have to update this field or, you know, add more information. Uh, and in, you know, like in a day, you could launch it again. And so that it's just much, much faster than custom development. But one of the things we do think about at Appify, mm-hmm. we think about how it can really give superpowers to your IT team. So in most companies, there will still be developers. We're not going to replace developers for sure, but we can make them a lot faster. So they're able to very quickly do apps that solve the problems of their lines of business. And then they can focus their energy on some of the deeper uh, technical problems that the company also needs to solve. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm on your website now and looking at the different cust- the, the customer profiles, and it looks like you're targeting four primary industries, commercial equipment, manufacturing, construction, and medical health care. And one common thread that I see there is that I imagine that there are a lot of employees who are on their feet a lot. These are yeah. not, not people at their desks so much. That's but right. Was that intentional to target these industries based on those types of employees? Yeah, and and largely that's because that's where we see the biggest opportunity for, in particular for mobile apps or apps on a tablet, is that when you have a lot of employees out in the in the field for whatever reason, whether it's sales or servicing machinery or meeting with customers, they're the ones that that sometimes analysts will call them deskless workers, which sounds very fancy, but really it is people who are not kind of the mm-hmm. typical knowledge workers who are working in Excel and you know sending emails and setting up meetings. Uh, instead, they are literally at the front line working with your customers, and so creating great apps that make them more efficient, more productive, maybe even a better customer experience because they have, you know, all of the history of Mm -hmm. this particular customer at their fingertips. Those are the kind of things that we've really seen uh, a no-code platform be exceptionally useful for. Great. And to pivot over to the different pricing plans that you offer, I see that there's a there are three three tiers, with the top tier being enterprise, and then the, you have a the starter and a standard, twenty five per month and forty five per month. The call to action for all of those is request a demo. Or for the That's enterprise, right. it's talk to sales. <laughs> but it seems though that that you're that you are really insisting everyone, even even someone who's going to pay twenty five dollars a month, uh, you still want to onboard them through a demo. Um, can you talk to me about that that user journey and have yeah. you considered more of a lower touch um, self-serve onboarding yeah. process? Yeah, no, and I think that's a great question. So for all of the the marketers in your list who are listening, I think it's really important to think through this kind of thing. And what's been interesting about my career is that at Box, it was definitely freemium. You could have a free app, you could credit card, get in there, use it. And at Looker, there was never a self-serve option. So I've sort of worked in both worlds. Um, at Appify, we I suspect we probably will eventually have a self-serve option where you can very quickly get in, build an app, try it out, figure out whether you love it, and then you know off you go with 
perhaps even a credit card. Um, but today we're we're still at that stage where we're speaking to larger customers. No code is one of these things that people are like, oh, this is cool. I'm uh, I'm interested in it, but they don't exactly know what they're going to do with it. And so we're at the stage now where we really want to handhold everyone who comes to our platform to help them think through like, well, what's the what's the, what are the biggest business problems you have today? Okay, let's brainstorm. Are there apps that can help solve these problems? Those are the apps we should create first. Um, And so that kind of conversation, you know, for the size that we're at today feels like the important uh, conversation to have. And in, in addition, we, you know, one of the things I saw at Looker was, this exceptionally great customer experience uh, was something Looker was very well known for. Uh, and certainly in the beginning, it helped the growth because customers were so happy. They would tell people they knew and, you know, they'd fill out reviews on all the review sites. And so there was this wonderful customer love that we built because we really put people towards making new customers very successful. So it's sort of a combination of, we want to get in there and make customers super successful because from a strategic standpoint, that will help grow our business. It will help our marketing to make our customers happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondarily, it's such a new category that you know we want to be involved in the conversation on what apps to build and how do we make sure you're successful because it isn't obvious. Uh, you know, we 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 kind of want to make sure that they're really mm-hmm. thinking through what are the biggest problems in the business that I have today and how do I uh, create an app that can solve that problem. Understood. What is the most common alternative for someone, for a potential customer of yours who, who would build an app? Is that just to hire an app development company or is there some other alternative that's also out there for them? Yeah, there are probably two alternatives. One is hire a bunch of developers who will build it for you. Uh, And the other might be, there might be a point solution, let's say. So uh, very often people come to us and they have one problem because they, you know, that's how we all work. We have sort of like, what is the problem right in front of me today? Not necessarily what are all the problems I'm going to have for the next 10 years. And so they will come to us with like, well, can you solve this one thing that we really wish you know, we have sales reps that go on site and they collect information and we want to give a quote to the customer as fast as possible. Like, yep, we can solve that with an app. Um, now, there may be a point solution that, you know, let, let's say it's called like get a quote really fast.com or something like that. They could buy an app that does that mm-hmm. one thing. Um, and what we really, the conversations we really have is say, okay, is this, this is unlikely to be the only problem that you ever want to solve ever. Um, I actually was speaking to um, a really interesting, um, he was a technical services in the operations group at a field service company, um, a healthcare field service company. So they service medical devices. And one of the things he said, he said, our industry, we are always buying software to solve the today right now problem which locks us into a piece of software that does not solve tomorrow's problem and the problem after that and all of the things that we're going to attack in the future. And, you know, that analogy, I think, perfectly encapsulates where we sit is we can solve today's problem, 
But the advantage of going with a no-code platform is that not just today's problem. We can we have this flexible agility that I can allow you to then like, oh gosh, yeah. tomorrow I need this other thing and I can quickly build it with this platform mm-hmm. instead of saying like, oh crap, I've got to pay some consultants to sort of rejigger Chase down that old thing. app developer. Right. right, right. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. I know that this was this kind of this kind of evokes the the thought of of WordPress and and one of the reasons why I think WordPress became the absolutely dominant CMS. That's right. Yeah. Is because because of its ability for people not to be locked into a certain dev team with proprietary with a proprietary CMS and and face the risk that if I want to update my website in a few a few years from now, this team might be might be gone. Right. And, and nobody will know why it was and coded another, the way it was. And yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Right, right. So you can't hand off that there that work to another developer because it's uh, it's just like a different a different language and um, you'd have to start from scratch, yeah, which is a huge disadvantage. Right. Yeah, that's a great that's a great conversation to have, and I'm curious also if when when people are signing up for the demo and it sounds like you're really doing a lot of consulting there with them too, do you sometimes determine that actually they don't really need a mobile app? I think for the problem uh, that they're trying to solve. Yeah, usually that's usually what. If we determine anything, there are sometimes where we meet with a company that's so small that they really do just need a point solution. <laughs> like they they really just need one thing mm-hmm. and they'll be fine. So if, if it's a, you know, we, we have, we would love to help smaller companies, but we're more than they need. Um, so for example, we're, you know, we talk to, you know, my, my mom is a CEO, my dad is the president and, you know, I'm the one employee. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you could, a point solution will be fine. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have all of the problems of the future that a larger organization might have. Uh, and also one of the real advantages to Appify is that we sit on top of your existing tech stack. So if you don't have an existing tech stack, we can still add a lot of value because you won't get stuck to an existing tech stack that might be too rigid to, you know, make lots of adjustments to. But you know, if you're if you're never if you're not planning to buy an SAP or a Salesforce or whatnot, there's less advantage to having a, a no code platform. Although we do have plenty of customers that are smaller that you know we love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha. So I'd like to pivot a little bit to marketing and your your overall marketing strategy for Appify. Sure. Before I get into anything too specific. Can you just describe generally how you are how you are attracting leads? Yeah. So yeah, we've we've recently shifted our strategy a little bit. I think we started uh, with app. Of, well, <laughs> what we really started with is events. So you could see that in the last year we had to shift away from that. So there was a lot of success with in person events. Yeah. Um, many of the industries we were targeting are very much face to face. The trust is built there. Uh, we actually still have conversations with people that we met at an event, you know, two years ago. Uh, they're, oh, yeah, I remember you guys. Like, let's talk more. How? What have you developed since then? And where are you? So that was our original marketing strategy. I think the pandemic happened. And so we had to shift. And I think, you know, webinars, t- dabbled in webinars, tried some of the digital events. It's, it is honestly, it's just not the same. 
Um, we still will do some of them, but it, it, mm-hmm. it was clear that it could not be the core strategy from a, from a marketing perspective for Appify. Um, so this last year we shifted, we pushed into digital advertising. So we started to do LinkedIn and content downloads and, and a variety of, of work there. Um, and that worked okay. But at the end of this year, what we really solidified on is content marketing because no-code app platforms are new enough that this is effectively category building. We need to educate everyone mm-hmm. about what a no-code platform can do for them, for their business, how it works, how to think about building an app, how to change their perspective of, uh, around technology and what it can do. Um, so, so today, our strategy is very much content marketing and kind of building that category and educating the market around no-code. Mm-hmm. And I am checking out the blog. About how often are you are you blogging these days? So we're starting to pick that up. Our goal is to blog at least once a week, uh, and then we're going to aim for two weeks. But we're I'm starting starting small. Like let's start talking to the world. You know, once a week, start mm-hmm. do, you know creating more content that we get out there. And uh, that just actually just started in in February. Our sort of change in approach. Uh, so. I don't know if you can see it. All of a sudden, we blogged a couple more times than we ever had before. So there's a lot more uh, focus on creating that content than we than we'd had previously. I, I can certainly I can see an acceleration. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see an acceleration. The month of acceleration in, in the recent weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. Yeah, that's our focus. Yeah, so. yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in content marketing and, and uh, also mm-hmm. different formats that can address people who are at different stages of their journey. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that th- this is, this is like category building. And so there needs to be a lot of uh, resources put towards the upper funnel educational type of content uh, just to open, open people's eyes to a different exactly. way of approaching a, a problem that they may never have even considered. Um, and I also think you're doing a great job with, with, with middle funnel content, because I'm, I'm seeing the LinkedIn ads and, and all the case studies and the webinars. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you said, maybe successful at driving sales qualified leads directly, but still that, that content and having that content just placed there in the funnel, it's going to be accessible and available to people. And I think that's a natural next step after reading, let's say, a short blog post to just yeah. get a general sense of awareness. Yep, uh, totally. Um, and, and I'd like to talk even... a little bit about... Um, oh, sure. I was going to say one one example that just happened this morning that I was really happy about is we had a case study around our uh, launching uh, with a company called Tata MD, and one of the sales reps sent it out to a customer. We'd be a larger customer. We've been talking to them forever. Sent it out and said, "Just wanted to show you kind of some of the progress we've made in another large company like yourself that." you know, that has launched Abify and sort of some of the results. And and they got a response immediately like, this is really interesting. Let's get on the phone and talk some more. So exactly what you just said, that sort of late stage funnel kind of conversation with these case studies is exactly what happened. So we were all sort of, Woo! okay, good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How about video? Um, now the, the webinars are videos, but have you thought about a video strategy also? Yeah, yeah. I have to say I love video. I'm a big fan, uh, and I we have a dearth of video 
at Appify right now. So well, we haven't quite figured out what our strategy is, but I think in connecting to the content, um, we need to start looking at uh, other mediums other than just writing uh, or webinars. And I think that's definitely going to be one of the ones we push out into, uh, you know, as any any startup marketing person knows there's only so much money uh, that you can spend. So trying to figure out how do we create a good quality video with good content that doesn't break the bank. So that that's the the challenge that I think we'll probably tackle in the next couple of months is figuring out how to do that in a very kind of in a scalable way. Because I do think it'll be more, I, I love video and I think it's very educational, especially with um, complex concepts where if you can animate something, you can more quickly explain uh, a technical concept in a way that anyone can grasp it. And I think that's uh, just across the board. I, I think video is excellent for doing that. And I would love to do more of that with Appify once we kind of get our, get our cadence going with those mm-hmm. content that we're putting out today. Yeah. The nice thing about video also is that if you start with video, then those videos can be more easily repurposed into other formats such as audio and, and written form blogs, blogs, for example. But I find it's harder to do that in the opposite, in the reverse order, turning Mm. a blog post into a video to me is a bigger effort than turning a video into a blog post. And both here at our agency and with some of our clients, we're trying to get them to pivot to a video first strategy. Yeah. And we still do the same type of planning around content topics, but rather than think about leading with a blog post, we think about how can we lead with the video and then later turn that into a blog post. I love that. And maybe idea. some other forms of content too, because a video can video can be chopped up as well into little shareable social media uh, nuggets. Yep. Um, no, I think that's little I think highlights. That's brilliant. I hundred um, percent agree with that. You got to start with the longest form you can do, and then. Mm-hmm. And I just said this to my team the other day. Uh, we had one fellow on our team wrote this really lovely, very long blog post about you know digital transformation and kind of no code and how it fits together. And I immediately said, "This is great. Let's mm-hmm. chop it up. Let's send it. You know, like let's make this a white paper. We can sort of take out the Appify." And, you know, make it a white paper that someone might download to learn more about digital transformation and no code without being too salesy. Um, while at the same time, yep, make it a blog post. Mm-hmm. And okay, maybe we can take chunks of this content and create an ebook. And although the team sort of went, oh, wow, like one effort to write a piece of content can be many, many different things um, that are in different formats that are, are, you know, they're different people respond to different links and notes and whatnot. So um, really pushing the team to do that. And I think, I think you're right from a, the video is the, you really have to plan. You have to plan the script. You have to really think hard about how you communicate. It's, it's a little easier to write a blog post. Yeah. I think that's when content marketing gets a lot more fun. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think it's, it's kind of an eye opener when people realize like, Oh, for every piece of content, I, I don't have to start from scratch every time. We can create a lot of stuff from one effort. Uh, and I and I think, you know, video being a great example, you spend a lot of effort creating a video. There should be like 18 ways to Sunday that you can reuse that content that you just created because it, it does take a lot of energy to do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to move over to paid search. 
Um, according to my research, it's a channel that either you haven't started yet or, or you're still um, just testing out. Are you doing Are you doing any Google paid search currently? We've we've oh, done a little okay. bit. Yeah, we're not currently doing it. We spent a lot of time on in our digital advertising. We spent some energy on Google search. We spent some energy on LinkedIn. Um, the Mm-hmm. The the hard part about early stage, well, there's, there's just two things. When you're creating a category, I am not sure if Google SEM and LinkedIn content, like any sort of digital advertising at the beginning is as effective as it could be because you don't have the brand. So you don't have this sort of brand awareness and people are sort of thinking about it and you don't have the category necessarily. So when we started to do Google search, we would try to say like a work order app or a quoting app. And so we would try to go specific to something that was tangible that people would actually search for. But the problem was the conversations we had weren't necessarily these deeper technological conversations around platforms and no code and what it means for a larger IT firm. So that was the moment where we said, okay, our content isn't ready to put the money into this digital advertising piece yet. That is to say, we're going to get back to it. (laughs) But we did pause to say, okay, let's Mm -hmm. step back and make sure that the content we're putting out there is, is attracting the right people that we're actually saying no code and people are going, oh, I want to know what that is. So that the conversations we have from that lead we just paid, you know, a bunch for are the kind of conversations that we actually want to be in. So that was, so what we definitely did uh, dabble. And of course, in other companies I've worked at, it's been exceptionally successful. So I have no doubt we'll get back there, but there was a sort of a reset and like, let's create our category first. Let's get our content working. Let's get the machine working first. Got it. Have you thought about or tested going after search terms that indicate people are looking to hire mobile app designers and mobile app developers? Because I there love is that, a huge amount of yes. search volume around this. I keywords. love that you said that. I so I did I just the other day went, huh, actually, maybe this is a way to target. And so we started by we have an SDR team. So I started by saying to the SDR team, go look for companies that are hiring mobile app developers. And See if we can get some conversations going. So I no, absolutely. I think there's a little bit of creativity that we probably need to turn on with uh, some of those search terms and things like that that we haven't yet gotten to. But for sure, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, in our in our experience in our agency experience, we've worked with several uh, category creators, and and there is very limited search intent, and there's very limited volume with yeah. the right type of intent, but. It is about getting creative about the so-called adjacent intent, and and sometimes that can be that could be where you can you can really have success. Now the pitfalls of that is that sometimes that adjacent intent, like going after a keyword like mobile app developer in Santa Cruz, it might cost you twenty five dollars for that click, and yeah. that is just <laughs> way way too much to to pay for a click. And that, yeah. that those are the pitfalls. But the adjacent intent of someone who's searching for a mobile app developer, at least it indicates that um, they're, they're in market and they are planning to build an app and they probably aren't aware of your right. alternative to do it better, faster, cheaper. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, no, and, I uh, think that's and, brilliant. And, and, and without developers. Mm-hmm. 
Do you at some at some point in the future do you see Appify as a brand becoming synonymous with the with the whole concept of no code? Well, of course I do. <laughs> yes. All right. Actually, the that the, was a, uh, yeah, that was a pretty uh, <laughs> obvious. One. What what we really want to focus on, not just sort of broadly everything no code. We want to focus on so from a positioning uh, sentiment. We want to focus on enterprise no code mm-hmm. that IT embraces. I think that is that is really where we're finding our kind of positioning that fits really well with the product that we're delivering. And it is something that we think we have a lot to say about is we want IT to embrace the concept of no code versus um, there's, you know, obviously there are plenty of no code options that are small and, you know, that you can, and there's a, Microsoft Power Apps, so many companies might have lots of people in the company creating little apps with Microsoft Power Apps, which is in a very controlled environment, can create a lot of chaos, a lot of data silos. And so we want to be synonymous with that no-code agility that IT embraces because they can manage and control, they can connect to old systems, uh, and they're able to um, deliver more to their end users than they were ever before. So that's really what we want to be synonymous with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we own all so of are no you saying code, that we're you're, good with that too. Uh, that you're, that's pretty good, yeah. I, I remember recently bumping into no code from uh, a, a major app uh, called ClickUp, which we now have migrated to from Asana, our agency. And and I listened to a webinar and they, they dropped that term many times that you can design and, and do so much customization within this this environment that it's uh, it's stuff that previously you would have had to code basically, and so this, this is a no code. This is a no code option for non developers. You're saying you want that. You really want to be known in the IT community. I was thinking that the the, the, the no code concept is a something that the marketer is going to decide. Oh, this is this is what I need because I can't get the right IT resources from my company or. Um, it's just simply going to take too long. Is your primary buyer an IT person who's looking to just try to protect the the resources and priorities of their team and 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 let the marketers go off and and have better tools so that they don't bug the developers, <laughs> or is it the marketer who says I, I I'm just not getting what I need from the the dev team, or is it somebody else? Yeah. So we the conversations we've had are with. IT that wants to deliver solutions to the marketer or whatever line of business. And they're not resourced to do it. They're, they can't, you know, they have a list of priorities so long that they're not able, which is a lot of the frustration I think we've all seen in big companies where they don't have enough resources to actually mm-hmm. address all of the maintenance and ongoing needs of the tech stack of a company, plus the new ideas, the new things that that folks want to do. And so being able to have that kind of no-code platform allows them to actually succeed. That's our hope. Now, at the same time, we do get lines of business who come to us and say, I really need this app. Um, but we tend to say, let's bring IT into the conversation. Let's make sure this is a this is not a shadow project in the corner that 
someday you'll get in trouble for that. Like, let's bring everybody together. And we're happy to have the conversations with IT around security and scalability and uh, single sign on and how do we fit with the rest of their system so that we can create harmony between everybody uh, in being able to deliver these tools. Mm-hmm. That's great. And where are you in, in the overall journey of uh, the overall growth journey? Have you, have you raised any money yet? Any financing? Yeah. So, so we, we did a series A, so we're a series A company. And then this last summer in the middle of the pandemic, we, mm-hmm. we extended the A a little bit, took a little bit more just in case. Uh, yeah. I think everyone was like, mm, if there's money out there, we should probably take it right now just in case nobody knows what's happening with this pandemic. And uh, yeah, so we've been, you know, mm-hmm. we've been running on that right now. I think we're right at that stage where we're, we're feeling that product market fit. We're seeing it in some of our customers and we're saying, okay, let's get more of those customers because we're starting to feel that, you know, if you've ever been in a growth stage company, usually post series B, there's a, there's like this this feeling of like, oh, we're closing deals. It's moving forward. People are into it. They're like saying, yeah, I'm ready to sign now. You know, it's those moments where you start to say, okay, I think we're we're ready to start growing. I think we're right at the stage where we're seeing the signals, but we need to confirm the signals before we actually, you know, go for the Series B and hire a uh, hundred sales reps to start pushing the product out there. Uh, but it's feeling really, really close. Mm-hmm. So we're we're excited about the progress we've made so far, even in the middle of that's awesome you know, the crazy pandemic time. So, <laughs> yeah my my event from my vantage point, SaaS had a, a, a huge surge forward during this mm-hmm. last year. Um, yeah. when when I look at just the VC activity in the space, yeah, and it, it's still happening now. I mean, this seems like a, a golden age right now for SaaS. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. Uh, just one of these one of these situations where there are there's maybe too much VC money looking for for too few good opportunities, and <laughs> that there's just a lot of investment happening. And I think that the whole shift in consumer behavior also affected this. Um, more people just moving more of their of their lives online. Yep. And I, I think in a lot of ways, B two C leads B two B, where consumer behavior is going to uh, eventually translate into into b2b behavior and um and people that once would never consider um a no let's say a no code a no code solution for building an app for their employees maybe five years ago it would have never even been a conversation but now they're they're all remote and um people are i think even in big enterprises they're becoming more comfortable with off-premise cloud-based SaaS solutions yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's so definitely true. Think, uh, Everything you just timing, said, I totally agree with. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, and and it is really important to look at the B two yeah. C timeframe or kind of the innovations that are happening there, because um, I've I've seen that for the last twenty years where things become very easy in the B two C world. Consumers are like, "This is great," and then they go to work and they're like, "Why?" Is it so bad? <laughs> I have seen it work. It is not working mm-hmm. in my company or you know at my job, and that I think always drives. Then B two B has to sort of step up and deliver a better experience because there are plenty of employees that you know they don't want to deal with the with the hard UI and the difficulties that can come from that. 
Yeah, they're, they're almost getting, they're getting trained to the conveniences uh, and, and those yeah. great experiences, those great B2C experiences of uh, video content always on demand, uh, everything I want delivered straight to my door at it right. within <laughs> always less than 24 hours now. Oh, yeah. Um, so why can't, yeah, why can't work be the same way? I mean, I think that's just very natural. And I guess they want apps to, they want their work apps to, to behave like their, their favorite consumer apps. That's right. And those, those employers have to deliver. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think, you know, I'm as, curious to know if you've ever looked at, okay. I was going to say as employers. No, please are, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. As employers are starting to look at making sure they're retaining their best talent, many of, you know, certainly we talk about millennials, but now we've also got generation Z and, you know, all the younger people moving into the workforce mm-hmm. have absolutely no appetite for the kind of experiences that, that we have sort of, well, okay, I have to click 18 times to do this particular task, but whatever, I'll, you know, I'll be done with it. They're, they don't mm-hmm. have that same patience um, and good for them for not having patience for bad UI. Yeah. Uh, and so employers actually have to think about how do I deliver an experience to my employees that they say, yes, you know, this makes sense and I'm going to do this job and I'm going to be happy about yeah. it. Yeah, this feels like Uber or this feels like DoorDash. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, that, because my, young, my young staff, they actually demand this. Otherwise, they're going to walk. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of calling the shots now, aren't they? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> In a way. Yeah. There's something that I've, I forgot to ask you, and I want to get back to this a little bit because I see a lot of parallels with what you're doing to what companies like uh, Wix and Squarespace uh, and Web uh, Webflow, if you're familiar with that company, have done to really disrupt the whole um, the whole website builder market. And this is this is something that that they started a few years ago, and I think now have really changed the whole mindset. Yeah. I was researching Wix and Webflow even today. Have you ever looked at how they do their marketing? And and uh, because they they had to convince people not to hire developers also to build websites, and, and yeah. now you're trying to convince people not to hire developers to build their apps. Yeah, Have, do you see any parallels with that, with what they did a few years ago? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there, in fact, many people who, you know, when they sort of go, wait, what do you do? They're actually the example. Well, you remember when you actually had to hire developers to build a web page? Well, now you don't, right? You've got Wix, you've got Squarespace, and there's, you know, plenty mm-hmm. of other folks that make it easy to very quickly get something up there. And um, so I, I use, I absolutely use that as an analogy. Okay, now... We, you know, you would have to dev- hire a developer to build an app, but why does it have to be that way? And that's, you know, how I often describe Appify is makes it easy to build an app and, you know, get it out there. Whereas before you would have hired custom developers. So, yeah. So, but, you know, it's funny. You mm-hmm. should look at their marketing and I'm like, I should look at their marketing. I'm taking notes. This is a great idea. So I haven't. I thought about it more as an analogy, not necessarily thinking like, how did they build this mm-hmm. market? How did they train people that they didn't need uh, to hire custom, you know, HTML developers to build websites? So I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, well, I think I'm starting to run out of good questions for you, Jen. Maybe can we can we move over to the personal side a little bit? Can you tell sure. us a little bit um, on the personal front? Um, 
just what what are you doing outside of outside of this? It sounds like this is taking up probably most of your time as it should. <laughs> but when you're not when you're yeah. not growing Appify, what what are you into? Ah, uh, I'm into many things. I'd say uh, I have a a pretty big family. I have four kids. So we have, you know, we've been going through the whole 2020 with online learning and hybrid and some of them get to go back to school and some of them don't. And I I have a, a, my stepson has got all these art projects that we have to get set up in the garage so that he can glue things and, you know, create all this art for his online school. Uh, So lots of kid time. But I think um, if I was to say other than spending time with the family and and of course we do these for the family, I'm also a big skier. So my husband and I are are hugely into skiing as much as we can. So we we try to get up to the snow uh, and go skiing. And then when we can't get up to the snow, um, I am lucky enough to live in Santa Cruz. So I like to go out to the harbor and uh, do some stand-up paddle boarding. So those are my those are my two things, depending Ooh, on nice. whether I'm in the snow or near, near the water. And other than that, it's just so you're, you know you're one of the it's... lucky <laughs> you're, you're one of the lucky people that can go uh, even within days of each other. You can be paddle boarding and yeah. skiing um, almost uh, practically on the same weekend, right? Yep, that's the that's what's so nice about Santa Cruz yeah, yeah, and in nice. California. You can you know kind of get up to Tahoe and. Uh, get on the snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Jen, this has been great. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that that you would like to share? Oh, um, I don't know. I'm thinking about you know one of the things to think about, like as a marketer. So I'll just share my little tidbit. Is I think I have been exceptionally lucky to now with Appify, I've been able to experience different go-to-market strategies with three different companies. And I think often, um, you know, non-marketers, well, what's the one thing that will make us successful, which is never, there's never a one thing. (laughs) And I think I would just encourage marketers to think about how there can be different go-to-market strategies for your company. So for Appify, because we're category building, it is content marketing. We think about Marketo. Like how did Marketo become a category Okay, it was content marketing, education. There was a lot of con- you know stuff that they did there, but then you take you know Looker was very much customer success, direct marketing. There was no online. It was much more SDRs and sales outreach. And then you look at Box, and it was all this freemium model where you had millions of people coming in the funnel, and you had to sort of pick and choose and try to optimize them into a larger. Uh, a larger deal over time. And so the I have found from a personal perspective, it is incredibly rewarding to have been able to see three totally different go-to-market strategies. Um, and so anyway, so I, so I share that to encourage marketers not to get stuck in like, well, we have to be like this company. Because of course, I've had lots of CFOs say like, well, why aren't we doing marketing like Salesforce. Why aren't we doing marketing like, you know, name a big company that's very successful. And so it's, you know, the marketers have to kind of hold tight and say, well, our strategy is this and stick to it because it's, you know, it is, it is, we, you can't just copy what some of their company does. You have to know what, what's right for your product and what's right for the composition of your company and the skills you have in order to decide what your go-to-market is. So there's my little tidbit. That's a that's a very great point, Jen. Thanks for sharing that. And and I just have a follow up question on that note. 
if you are going to predict how Appify's marketing strategy will evolve, do you think it will look like any of those prior experiences that you had, mm-hmm. or do you think it's going to be something new, a whole new new approach? It's a really good question. I think I take from I take bits <laughs> from different experiences. So I think over time, I think our top of the funnel PR strategy will look more like box, very loud, talking to lots of people, make you know lots of mm-hmm. thought leadership, lots of speaking, lots of because we need to evangelize, and there's a lot of that at box. And then I think at Looker, what I take from that is the customer focus is getting. I mean, at Looker, you would go to G2 Crowd and people are saying the most amazing things about how great this company is. Well, that's like the best marketing ever is, you know, to have review site after review site with Mm -hmm. five stars and I love this company and they did everything for me. So taking that chunk from Looker and really saying we've got to get to that point where, you know, getting a review site is easy because we have so many customers that want to sing the praises of our company. So those are the two nuggets I've, I've taken from my previous experience. And then I think the add on to, you know, at Appify is really getting into the content piece of the, you know, white papers and how to's and Mm -hmm. um, educational uh, material, eBooks, webinars, videos, whatever, um, which we weren't, we focused a little bit at, at all, in all my other experience, but we didn't go as deep as I'm hoping to do with Appify. So it'll end up being a little pick and choose from each <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, that's, you're certainly allowed to do that. And that's a smart <laughs> approach. Um, and it seems like you're, you're at the beginning of a, what's going to be an amazing journey. And, and I, I do think the timing, the timing is an exceptional as well. So Really wish you all the best with Thank Appify, you. Jen. Thank you. This has been very fun. All right. Yeah, same here. So uh, I think we can wrap up with that and, and have a great day. And thanks for, thanks for spending the time with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right.